the third Strategy Mob Summit table discussion featuring Jeff Hunter, John Cott, Marco Mantenuto, Everold Reed, and moderated by Jason Harris. Guys, thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to come and hang out with me. Today's going to be fun. I'll give you a little rundown of how this is going to work. I have uh, envelopes here. In these envelopes is a dealership scenario. And within that scenario, we're going to create a handful of strategies to help them either overcome whatever that scenario is or meet a golden objective that maybe is in that scenario. You guys will get five minutes after you've opened your envelope to kind of strategize among yourselves. Then as a table, as a strategy team, strategy mob, <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to get together and discuss that. So Everald, here is yours, John. Senor Jeff, Mr. Marco, thank you. <laughs> Me still having money in these usually. <laughs> yeah, they put, they put it on the fancy paper. Look at that. Look at that. All right, guys, here we go. Uh, ABC Motors again. Man, ABC Motors. It's tough. ABC Motors typically sells 65% trucks, but due to lack of inventory, they have to focus on increasing SUV sales. Unfortunately, their SUVs do not have the profit margins their trucks do. How does the dealership increase volume and profit on their SUV sales at the same time? We're looking at a couple different strategies here. We're looking at developing a marketing strategy that includes audience targeting and creative efforts, and an operation strategy that includes processes and training efforts. So guys, uh, I'll go ahead and start the clock. You have five minutes to put down your notes, and then we will discuss as a team. I think there's a lot of domestic manufacturers out there that are looking at this and having a very, very, very similar scenario where their sales were probably 65%, if not maybe in some cases more than that in truck sales. And you know, looking at what kind of global manufacturers are saying right now, we don't necessarily anticipate you know, truck sales to, or truck inventory really kind of balance out until maybe middle or even towards the end of this year. And uh, we are going to have to find and increase our revenue in the SUVs that we do have. So let's, um, I'm gonna start with you, Marco, on your side, and then we're gonna work our way over here. You know, how does a dealership increase both volume and profit at the exact time in their SUV sales? Uh, let's start with the marketing strategy, uh, audience targeting, and then creative efforts. What are your, kind of, what are your thoughts? Um, so marketing strategy, it, it's tough to convert somebody, unless they're in front of you, um, to, uh, to change their mind on, a, on something as epic as going from a pickup truck to an SUV now or a car. Uh, it's doable, but uh, it all starts with uh, training the staff. I believe that's a, that's a pillar of being able to do that. And by training the staff is uh, training them how to qualify the client properly in the sense of, you know, ask the client whether or not they really need that truck bed um, and how often they need that truck bed. It's just like uh, when somebody comes in asking for a seven passenger vehicle because their in-laws come to town three times a year. And you've got to make them realize that for the times that you need that truck bed or the time you need the seven seater, it's cheaper to rent one from Home Depot or Enterprise for $35, $45 a day than it is to, uh, to purchase one and commit to it for three or four years and then find out halfway through that you needed more enclosed cargo space versus open cargo space. Uh, and then the increasing profitability, that's a simple one. 
uh, F&I products, warranties, rust proofing if it's available, uh, time rim protection. Those are all simple things that the salespeople can set up the client for early on in the process while at the same time offering some value to the client. So you're, you're not, it's not an administration fee that you try to explain and where does it go? Uh, pays for the computers and the wires. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't make sense and people don't buy into it. But if you set them up properly for a warranty, uh, then you know, that's a way to increase profit. Now on that marketing kind of strategy uh, messaging, you know, um, kind of split it out between, you know, kind of a new customer versus existing customer. What kind of messaging would you put in, put in there, Marco? New customer versus existing customer. Um, yeah. Ask them what they uh, didn't like about owning a truck versus what they liked. There is going to be pros and cons with both of those things, and then kind of shine a light conveniently to what you know it, it is convenient to you. For example, with a pickup truck. Um, having grown up around them, it's, uh, you know, stuff freezes in the back. You need to buy a cover. Um, covers are between $300 for a crappy one to $1,600. It's something else you have to account for when buying that car or that truck. Um, and just kind of steer them towards, steer the conversation where you want it to, to go. Sure. Hey, um, Jeff, for yourself, you know, from a marketing strategy, you know, kind of targeting that, that, that SUV buyer, you know, what kind of messaging, you know, knowing that they would like to buy a truck, but you don't have it. What kind of messaging would you put together there? Well, I think from a marketing standpoint, one of the first things we're talking about targeting is literally geo-targeting and uh, marketing to areas where you know what families are going to be, you know, whether it be the rink, whether it be, I mean, maybe it's not as much now, uh, but trying to focus to areas where you think that there's going to ha have those type of SUV customers if we're talking about, you know, new or even potential um, changeover customers. Um, I would focus a lot on 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 lease options. Uh, so you know, somebody somebody's truck might be at you know at, at its tail end, and so they're kind of in, a, in in an area where they do need a vehicle. It doesn't necessarily have to be a truck, or they might want a specific one that you can't get. Oh, I like that kind of like their in between vehicle. Like so, we don't have a truck right now, but we'll get yeah, you an so SUV we can when do you can't get right a truck. Right now, with General Motors, <laughs> where I am, we have really great leases, really great uh, lease incentives right now, yeah. and, and they're really focusing on short-term leases, so two-year leases, right, are, are very affordable. And I think that if we can, you know, kind of get somebody into one of those um, in a, a two-year lease and saying, okay, you know, two years, let's, let's you know, get you this, the cost of ownership is pretty minimal, um, um, and then we'll get you into, you know, the one that you really want, because we don't have that lifted AT4 that you want right now, but, I, you know, in two years, I'm pretty sure we'll be back to more of a normal circumstance, because General Motors is going to be building trucks in Canada now. Um, no, so, I mean, I think that if we can focus on on, on maybe some short-term leases. I like that. I, I like that. I like that kind of short-term kind of I think also focusing on... Um, Re-educating customers as well, because I think a lot of our, our SUVs are very capable in towing, and I think if we do a lot of videos showing them towing boats, showing them, uh, you know, towing a small travel trailer, because, and then, you know, fortunately, again, with General Motors, we have Yukon VF Palace, we have some of the larger ones, but even some of our mid-sized ones will pull 5,500 pounds, and a lot of people aren't educated in that. They just think if you're getting an SUV, you might be able to pull a single-bed snowmobile trailer, and, and that might be the extent of it. So I think just it's a re-education of the customer and what the capabilities of the new SUVs are. Um, and I think one other thing in terms of when you're talking about uh, behind, like more profit would be to market these SUVs with something, again, maybe I'm lending myself more towards where I, where I live, but with, with snow tire packages and things like that, where people that are coming from a truck might be a little more nervous because they just assume a truck is going to go through that snow and, and get to a conference like this when there's a snowstorm better. But if you educate them that, hey, listen, you know, these snow tires are a great thing and, and you're packaging that as part of your, as your pricing, aside from obviously what Marco said, which is clearly just, you know, back end um, in, in, in terms of warranties and tire warranties and protection uh, um, packages. So 
That, John, John, for yourself, I know a lot of your dealerships are great at selling SUVs. Um, so, so I'm curious from a kind of a marketing strategy, uh, what approach would you kind of take in this specific scenario? I mean, the guys mentioned a couple things already, but um, we would probably target this as a three prong where, I mean, we'd have a heavy, you know, or target our database, right? So, um, you know, you can pull, you can pull the data from there and really focus on which customers you think would work. Um, uh, going into an SUV, obviously previous SUV customers, but also um, you can look at some of the history of uh, someone that was in a truck maybe and how they financed and whatnot to, to target them. Um, you know, if, if you're a manufacturer store, you have service customers coming in every day and actually services up right now, right? So, um, you know, most dealerships uh, through the pandemic had um, better fixed operations. So I would really tie that into my marketing platform and, and making sure I have a really good process on how we're communicating with you know the people that are coming in for service and maybe you know we're doing some test drives on SUVs and stuff like that um, and have them set up in the showroom and whatnot and then obviously there, there'd have to be a really good social media presence so I wrote that down and targeting all platforms um, you know with some good creativity and, and what the benefits of SUVs are um, and then for profitability the guys have already mentioned it's just making sure that our after sale products are part of the sales process right so um, you know, winter tires should be part of a sales process and, and including them in, into that sales process, especially with the manufacturers having 0%, right? So, um, you know, a lot of people might not know that an extra, a winter tires might only change the payment, you know, 6 or $7, right? So um, you start serving numbers that include the winter tires, even if they didn't ask them, um, and say with tires or with a tire package or without tires, and once they see that there's only a small spread, they start buying some of these after-sell products right, right up front before they go into the finance office, right? So that would kind of be my uh, prong system there. I like that. I, I think I'd kind of, I, I almost kind of like uh, also combination kind of what Jeff was talking to. Because I'm, I'm thinking like a like a lifestyle type kind of accessory packages. You know, I, I will I will have to say, you know, the states does a lot better of accessorizing vehicles than. I think a majority of kind of Canadian automotive industry, but that was a big part of our my, kind of my success when I had a dealership was a lot of my profit margins honestly came from the accessories because necessarily the car wasn't going to get me to where my goals needed to be. And so how you kind of create those lifestyle accessory packages, like if you are a family, here's a lifestyle package. You know, if you, you are an active person, you go out, here's another accessory package. Everyone for yourself, you know, when you're thinking kind of, uh, you know, the situation this ABC Motors is in, you know, from a marketing perspective, kind of, you know, who would you target and what does that creative effort kind of look like? Well, I, I think my first uh, target will be, would be intentionally targeting my existing database. And, and, and it's largely what I do at Lexus uh, anyways, because there's so much more there than meets the eye. There's so much more in our existing database. And I believe that that's the foundation from which to build and to, to strategize especially when you have a circumstance where trucks, there's not enough trucks and you need to f shift your focus to another model. Um, I've, you know, to, to borrow a little bit of what Je Jeff uh, shared with us, I, I, I intentionally um, always, especially if a, if a truck is up for redesign in the, in the next year or so, that's one reason to you know, uh, offer a temporary or a short-term lease scenario. 
And that's something that, that we do a lot because customers like the fact that you are outlining a solution for them that in order to get to point B, you might need, or, you know, you might need to take a detour. But the possibility is that we can get you there. Here's just why and here's just how we need to do it. And I think that has um, opened up a lot of opportunities for us um, at Lexus because sometimes clients really, if you, when they tell you they are looking for this pickup truck and you, you really have a conversation and listen to them, they, they probably really don't need the pickup truck. They Good just point. like having the pickup truck <laughs> right? because they like the big wheels, 22 inch wheels like Jeff. And they like, you know, that they have more horsepower than their friends or neighbors. And they like when they go to the cottage, they can plow through, um, you know, to get up and to pick up their stuff. Just it's no different than our clients who are hauling stuff between, you know, Toronto and Florida. Um, how much SUV do they need to haul their stuff back every year? You know, it's, it's, it's the same thing. So, um, so definitely uh, intentionally targeting, uh, shifting focus to um, short. And, you know, there's many clients we've done this with even recently. Uh, a guy wants a Tesla. Well, he, you know, he wants a Lexus uh, electric car, but we don't have one yet. Um, well, why don't you lease a hybrid <laughs> until we get to that point. So it's, it's kind of the same thing is offering alternatives. Kind of finding alternatives. Look, I think everyone's kind of really kind of consistent in kind of the audience targeting is, is how, do you, how do you kind of separate out, you know, your existing customer database between like the real truck user who, who does need it because it's, because it's work-based and they are towing on a regular basis. And then that's, I'm gonna call it the, the convenient truck owner who likes the idea of owning one because you know when they go to Home Depot it makes it easy, but it's not necessarily a requirement. I think that's that would be an incredibly powerful uh, strategy. I think for this type of dealership, but I'm not 100 percent sure exactly how to execute on that. So I'm gonna start with Mark, and I'm working my way around. How would you think the ABC Motors can kind of separate out from their existing customer database the real truck owners kind of versus the the convenient truck owners, so we can have these two different conversations. Well, it all depends. I mean, uh, um, really, what it comes down to when, when it comes to trucks, it, I, I like to bring up the example of Ford because Ford pickup trucks, for example, are not usually driven by people that actually do much work, uh, unless they have the proper engine and the proper towing equipment and what's not. But an EcoBoost engine is not going to haul a, a Bobcat or whatever else that you need to haul with it, right? So there's a lot of uh, I call them four-man trucks. Um, so, and, and if, if you're targeting your own database, that's the easiest thing because you, you've seen these cars come back and you've seen the condition, you've seen whether or not the bed's completely demolished in the back because they keep throwing, the example of my family, marble and granite in the back of it and, and it just destroys the bed. Um, the seats, the way they, are, uh, they, they, uh, they break down on the side of the fabric, that's a big thing that I've noticed on pickup trucks is, uh, you know, if it's somebody that does actual work, they don't wear dress pants, they wear dickies and, and jeans, and those tend to demolish, eat away at the seat as you go along. So it's fairly easy once you have the truck in front of you to tell who's doing what, but if you wanna go in depth without looking at the truck, look at uh, who owns the truck. If it's a construction company, they're gonna put it under a company. If it's a renovator, a plumber, it's gonna most likely be under a company name uh, rather than uh, personal name, look at the mileage that they're driving, higher mileage. Um, so you can you can pretty much narrow down, uh, not perfectly, but to a pretty good understanding on who the clients are that actually use the truck for work versus who doesn't use the truck for work. 
And anybody that's putting leather navigation sunroof in a, in a pickup truck, they're also most likely, and again, I probably Jeff would, can, uh, can uh, uh, confirm that, but uh, I, I think, to, in my eyes, somebody who's getting a leather sunroof, 22-inch uh, wheels, no towing package, it's not somebody who's gonna most likely do any work with the truck. Versus he owns the construction company. He owns a construction company, he owns correct. Construction yeah. Company. And that's an easy flip. <laughs> so yeah. somebody that owned the construction company, I would probably show them an escalate at that point. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's the way I would do a base model. The the worker workers truck, the city trucks. Um, if you look at them, they all tend to be whatever color you got in stock. Uh, least amount of options needs to have a towing package, right? So Jeff, that's, for, Jeff, for yourself, how would you? Uh, Try to separate out the the real truck owners from the convenient truck so, owners. Yeah, so I think Mark always spoke to uh, Marco obviously spoke to the fact if he's digging into you know what's already there. I'm I'm going to get my customer in one way or the other regardless. So I, I don't really want to qualify too much. I just want to get them in there. And I know it sounds silly, but it's a more of a better opportunity when we are face to face. Oh, uh, we have true. We, we, we have there, which I, I I'm, I'm not saying yeah. he's not saying that, but so I have written here with with. Uh, you know, a couple of exclamation points after is is my is pre-qualifying questions, right? Which we should be doing regardless, um, and focusing on. So I'll, I'll admit I'm guilty of this. You know, uh, there's numerous cu truck customers that I absolutely know don't need trucks. They wanted the truck, and I'm not going to discourage them from wanting that. I don't think I'm doing them a disservice. You know what I mean? I think that that's what they want. It's still doing everything they need to do. They're still going to fit the kids in the back and go to hockey. That's a path least resistance, right? Let's just let's just get them to 100 percent, right? But I think in this case now, we know those customers are back. I can I can dig deeper on the pre-qualifying questions and like you know, is is this what like do you really need this? Like what is it you're towing? Well, did you know that the, you know the Traverse can pull this much? And you know, so I can I can probably weed out very easily a lot of those customers and you know hopefully steer them in a different direction and then and then and then at that point use the short you know shorter term lease well you know what listen just i think this is a good thing for you to try out you know and and, and see how that goes and if not it's only a two-year lease then we're back into a truck anyways right and i think right now one thing I, I forgot to mention i just want to go back to quickly and i had at the top of the page um going back to the marketing but it can also in relation to this is right now i think a lot of us are fortunate because you know we're, we are still working, but we, are, you know, I was off for a few months myself, as, as as and I'm sure a lot of people may still be off or making less of an income. I think one of the things we should really speak to is the cost of ownership of these vehicles as well. Uh, aside from the diesel that Marco may be driving, you know, most of these trucks are much harder on fuel. Most of these trucks are more expensive at a retail price. Therefore, your payments are higher. And I think if we can focus on again going back to maybe that short-term lease and talking about the vehicle cost of ownership being less, your fuel efficiency is better, your cost of ownership for a short term until, until the world hopefully writes itself, um, you know, and maybe use, it sounds bad, but maybe use that to our, to our favor right now in, in, in realizing that not everybody's in that same boat, not everybody has been working right through this pandemic and, and has the normal funds that they normally do or maybe nervous about what may, may be to come. So Yeah, a little of a pinching of the wallet message. Um, John, what, what would you like to add to kind of that, that strategy? I mean, they said, it, they said it well. I mean, value selling, right? So, I mean, the reality is you can get more of an SUV, you know, than you could in a truck, right? So, in most cases, so, or the other, the, other, the other side of that would be is that you can lower, you know, lower the price. So, and they can get in, you know, so now they can, they can look at their life and their cost uh, outlet and, and, you know, still get in a new vehicle, but maybe the payments drop some. Um, so, I mean, but all the points were valid, so. Yeah, it's, you know, as an industry, we focus so much on the upgrade events. I, I can't think of a single manufacturer or dealership that hasn't run one. It's like almost we're talking about like a downgrade 
event, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, how do you kind of get that, that, that message out there? Um, Everald, anything that you'd like to kind of add to how you kind of separate out, you know, those audiences? Well, um, I, I think for the work truck or the avid work truck user, they, they, they will clearly define more the purpose of the truck. They would either have the towing package already on, the bed liner, there's probably going to be stuff, work equipment in the truck, in the bed. They'll probably be dressed in their work clothes, uh, as they usually are, and um, they're more definitive on what they need. They know exactly what they need. Um, no different than, you know, our SUVs. If uh, you know someone says, "Well, I need a towing package because," and I know, you know, I need a roof rack or a crossbar because I go skiing. So I think the work truck uh, person would have that defined, and then for the for the non-work <laughs> uh, truck or pickup truck um, buyer, I think they may just be doing it because of convenience and less definitive as to the, to the overall use, but, you know, have always liked a pickup truck, have seen them on the road, uh, the deals are good, and there's, there's that, that too that drives a lot of these uh, buyers to buying pickup trucks and bigger vehicles lately is because the deals have been so good. And uh, I think, it, it, and, and if they've always wanted one all their, you know, growing up or admired a pickup truck, they look so nice now. And like you say, they, they are a family vehicle, most of them now. So that sometimes is, a, is that steers them. I, I, I think you're right. I think on the, the new customer kind of side is, you know, I think I'd have a little fun, a little tongue in cheek with the messaging and the marketing here of, you know, do, do you really need a truck, you know? Um, I think that that'd be a lot of fun. Now, now what we're talking about kind of in general, it seems like we're all in agreement that there has to be a conversation. Here's the kicker with that conversation, is like how do we process out, and this goes in kind of into our next part, which is the operation strategy of it. How do we process out the conversation that you know, the customer sees value in having that conversation with us? Because we know that we can provide value once we get the information, but how do we show value right out of the gate um, Everald, I'll start with you and I'll kind of work my way around this time. Um, you know, I want to have that conversation with them. What's kind of that process? On how to show value? Well, I want to get them to, get, to give me the time to have that kind of conversation. How do I earn that time? Well, I think, I think you earn the time first by establishing initial common ground and to show interest in what, they're, you know, what brought them in. Uh, I think if you show a genuine interest and, you know, have that dialogue, people then open up more to what really brought them in, whether it's something they saw and they start telling you the stories about, you know, who has one or why they wanted one. And that gives you the tools you need to develop a value strategy uh, and to make various types of proposals or suggestions and uh, take take the conversation from there to build your value proposition for that client. Yeah, that's a great point and I really like that. John, I, I'm sure you'd probably have something to kind of add to that. Like, you know, how, how do we bring that customer into the dealership from a prospect's perspective, you know, to, to, for, to give us that 15 minutes so we can have that conversation? Well, there's no easy answer, but I mean, customer profiling and using the data that we have would, would have to come into play and, and making sure that you have a strategy by going through, um, you know, any customer that's been a customer of yours already, you should be able to properly pull the data. And I think that's sometimes what we miss. 
you know, we don't we don't do deep dive on the customer and making sure we understand, you know, how many vehicles in their household, how did they pay for it last year, how many kids do they have, all those, you know, all those hot buttons that are going to help make the decision making. So, you know, um, we we have all that data. So using the data to, you know, when we do approach them and st- start communicating with them, give them, giving them reasons to have a look at, you know, what an SUV might change or help them, right? So. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think that's a, a that's a really kind of a, again, a professional way to kind of approach the customer is that hey, based on the data that we 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 have and you know of you interacting with us over the years, I, we I think we need to have a conversation. Yeah, I mean sometimes you just got to come out and say we don't have trucks to sell right now, so we want to show you the value in an SUV, and you could lower your payment by a hundred dollars, and you could get an upgraded unit. I mean sometimes it's just you know there's you, you just tell them what you have to offer that's more appealing uh, than what maybe that you had before, right? So and. Once you explain it to them and say, hey, you know, I know you had a truck last time. We don't have trucks. So, you know, um, like the guy said, you know, we'll put you in one of these short term. Um, but here's the benefits to it, right? It's, it's a really good strategy. Great communication there. Uh, Jeff, for yourself, you know, like, is this a phone call or is this an email? Like, how, how, how do you get them? How do you get them started to no, want yeah. to have that conversation? I, I think obviously a phone call. I mean, uh, emails don't get answered anywhere near as much as, as one would think. <laughs> or I think it's changed anyways, for sure. But I think uh, for me, it'd be picking up the phone. I think it would just be a matter of literally for, for myself and my sales process it would just be talking to the customer. Maybe, you know, a lot of my truck buyers, uh, up until recently where we've put a lot more focus on leasing of trucks, but a lot of my truck buyers were buying trucks because they're, us- they're using them, like, right? Some of them were using them. So I think what I would do is, is call the customer and, and kind of just find out what's going on with them. Hey, we haven't talked for a while. What's going on? One thing I've really noticed recently is amalgamated families. So. A lot of people are, are have been separated. They, they have two children of their own. They're getting that together with somebody that just two months ago that now has two children or three children. Now they have five children. You know what I mean? So they're the kind of customer who has had a truck. They're, they're only, you know, so you can find out different things about them. It's showing you care for, yeah, as well. You're, you're finding information about them that we can, well, you know what? Maybe we should get out of that truck and eat an SUV. You need more, you know, you need, you need more space, right? Um, and I think also it's, this sounds really bad the way I say it, maybe, but from a bait and switch standpoint, we still do have some trucks, right? Sure. We just may not have that truck that person is dreaming about. So we can still bring that person, I can still bring that person in to have a look at trucks. And we might have the one they want. Great, I'm going to sell that one. If we don't, then I have the ability to speak to the things that we've already spoken about because I have my customer there and go, you know what, we don't really have what you want. I keep going back to this lease thing, but I'm just saying, you know, that once I have them there and I can show that here, here's really where we're at. It's not a, it's, you know, you're on the lot with me right now. You can see that we don't have very many. I know you're in need of a new vehicle. Yours, you know, yours is up for, it's, you know, the end of its warranty, right? Let's not start, you know, dumping money at something. When I can put that money towards, you know, a new vehicle for a shorter term and then we can get you into exactly what you want. Or you may find that this is going to work best for you. And let's save some money in the, in the middle of that. So... Uh, I think again. I don't like. I said I don't want to have bait and bait and switch as a thing, but it, it, it's a little bit of that is bringing the customer. In, and if I don't, at least because I do have some inventory to show them. And if it's not what they want, we can really start focusing on the uh, the SUVs in, in the ways that we've already spoken about. Uh, I think just to add to that, um, it's it's different. There's a different approach whether we're dealing with our existing database or we're dealing with a new customer. Okay coming in because we've established a lot of trust with our existing database and I know we've done this many times at Lexus where we're waiting for a car that won't be coming for you know a year or two or they're redesigning something that we know of and are honest enough and they know anyways because they're Mm -hmm. educated enough to know and we'll give them a temporary solution. Uh, It's 
the, the good thing that I think a lot of us are identifying in sales and, and in management is we can actually set up, we set up a lot of our next deals. And largely what I, what I teach and, and my success has been on the fact that the deal I do today in 2021 or 2020, <coughs> I've already set up the scenario for 2022. My client knows it, I know it, they know the expectation. I like that process. It's right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so when I sell or deliver 170 cars uh, a year, I'm actually doing it to 140 people. Uh, I don't need to see 170 I, you need, because the expectations and they like it. The thing about the systems that I've been fortunate to, to create, which speaks to this point, is that we've trained our clients we've conditioned them rather, conditioned them rather, to want in these new vehicles every two years and three years. And that they, they actually now like that process. Yeah. Marco, anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I mean, it's the, uh, the awkward conversation. Three years ago, you told me the SUVs were the best thing. Now you have too many pickup trucks. <laughs> I was already um, thinking that, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, uh, really, what it come, uh, the way I would personally approach it is if they were, especially if they're on the phone or in front of you, you can turn around and say, listen, like, look at all the pickup trucks that are available out there. Uh, every company carries usually two, whether it's a Colorado or a Silverado or a um, Ford uh, F-150 versus a, um, a Ranger. Uh, versus how many SUVs are being added to every manufacturer's line uh, to the point where they're chewing up the sedans, uh, sedan segment of the market, right? So ultimately, you get the clients in, you, you put them in, uh, in, the, in the SUV and you ask them the main difference, you're still sitting as high. So you can still see uh, ahead. The only difference is that when you look back, there isn't a minus 40 bed uh, sitting behind you. There is extra cargo space where you can store stuff or put people in, and, and so forth. So really kind of build out the benefits. Guys, uh, I know we're, this has been some great strategies to kind of you know, acquire people in both from the new side, the existing side. Um, now, now I think I'm going to kind of lean more towards on kind of the process and training. Because not only do we have to increase the volume here, we also got to increase the profit. And you guys have said a few things, and I want to elaborate a lot more on it. Marco, you actually started uh, with this, is on the F&I side, which I, for me personally, I think process and training is practically broken when it comes to <laughs> F&I. So let's, let's, let's dive into this, guys. You know, like I said, we're going to increase the volume, but we're going to increase the profitability. Uh, Marco, from a, from a process and training perspective, what would you like to see when it comes to F&I? Oh, boy, F&I has been, uh, it's, a, it's a straw house on fire. Constantly, because uh, you, you look at all the different dealer groups and there's some that are getting rid of and making the sales guys do it. That, in my opinion, that doesn't really work because by the time you're done closing a deal, the last thing you want to do is sell them products uh, most of the times. Uh, and then there's other dealerships that are hiring more F&I, other that are just keeping two. It's just that everybody's just doing their own thing with, when it comes to financial uh, services office. But... Uh, making the salespeople realize that there's an opportunity, whether it's through their pay plan or, um, you know, keeping the clients happy or a combination of both. Um, what it comes down to is I, I looked at um, uh, our number one seller, Audi, for example, was uh, a Q3. The Q3 doesn't have a great profit margin, but the time you take a discount off of it um, because somebody else gave them cost, whatever the case might be. 
you're, you're at a flat deal. So how do I make my $300 flat a $500 flat or a $400 flat? And the easy transition was to set up the F&I office from, from the moment you qualify the clients to when you close the deal. So that you've, you've laid, you put the breadcrumbs down and then the F&I manager can now do his job a lot easier. So uh, that's one thing. And how do you get the salespeople to buy into that? I, I bought into it when I got sent out to do an F&I training course with uh, First Canadian. And that's when I started looking into it. And then it went to confirm everything when I sat through a TO, a couple of TOs and watched them uh, create a connection within 30 seconds almost and, and build the products that they needed to build. And then the, the thing that teed it all off was looking at the average RO from the service department. So the repairers that service departments uh, do on a lower end dealerships like a Nissan or a Honda, you're looking at an average of about 1000 to $1,500 when they come into your service department. Uh, and the clients begrudgingly pay that, but that doesn't mean that they're happy about it. So you'll never have a client come back to you and say, you sold me that warranty, it saved me five grand, you son of a gun. <laughs> no, they're, they're happy to, to do it, right? So, Jeff, um, Jeff, for yourself, how would you, uh, how would you like to see the F&I process at ABC Motors uh, be set up here, you know, with the intention of not only increasing our volume, but our profit as well? So I agree with Marco 99.9% percent of the time, but and this may be an unpopular opinion, but I, I, I'm, a, I'm of the thought of the, the way things are, have been going recently that I like the idea of a salesperson being able to, to carry the whole process all the way through. And if I can explain why, I think it's one of the things that, I've, that I notice in my sales process in the, in the dealership that I work at is, you know, uh, they'll see me, right? And we spend a number of time and I've, and I've established that rapport with that customer. Then, then they're going to go see an F&I person. Or in some cases, it's the salesperson, then the manager does the deal, then it's the F&I person, then it's the delivery person. And we have all of these channels and they're meeting somebody, you know what I mean? And, and it's, it, I think some things are getting lost in translation. And I think sometimes it's easier to sell a product to somebody when you've already developed that relationship as opposed to just sticking them up in a back office with a finance manager who they haven't spoken one word to and he's immediately trying to sell them an intangible. Right, so uh, you know a, a product that that they don't even get, you don't even see it, right? Yep. Um, and so again, it I think there's pluses and minuses to both. I'm not saying that is to be. I, I just as a salesperson, selfishly, I I think that that would be hey, a no, great I'm way to do it. And in my dealership, I'm selling the warranty anyway. So in that particular case, um, I also think you know in terms of uh, strategy and and how in F and I, I think that there should be more ways to incentivize your salespeople to set them up, if they're not selling that warranty first, to set up the office better. Unfortunately, I'm a salesman, and I think most salespeople in here will agree, like money, money talks. Like we're here to make money, we're on commission, right? And I think a lot of times if I'm making more money, I'm more incentivized to, to do that, to, to speak to the, to the F&I, right? So um, I think that you need your sales department either to, to be able to do that or to be able to be incentivized a little bit, get a portion of that to set up the F&I office to hit it out of the park. That's awesome. John, I know that this has been, I'm sure, a conversation you've had multiple times among your managers and, and teams. And, you know, for ABC Motors here, knowing what you know about them and that their need to increase both volume and profitability, how would you kind of recommend them structuring out their F&I process and efforts? Well, the salespeople need to be incentivized on, on the products that are sold in the F&I department. Um, but, you know, once you go from selling the vehicle to now selling the protection on the vehicle or the loan and, and everything else there you know I, I strongly believe that it needs to be someone else right so just transferring the trust over to that person and 
and advising them on that part of the of the process is, is good. We, we do have a second phase system even in the finance office um, where, you know, if that finance manager is going to go to a director uh, at the end of it and, um, you know, which part of the, pro which products they bought or which they didn't. Uh, and at that point, the director uh, may, uh, may go in and get a second phase and discount it um, and give, show them the value and stuff like that. So we have really high penetrations based on the system, right? So um, Brandon, my son, heads it up and, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, each finance manager, just like, just like salespeople are gonna have things, they're gonna have their go-to products, right? For sure. Um, and then they're gonna have the ones that they're not good at. So it's just identifying those and then making sure that we have the proper, you know, scheduling and training and, and reviews of, of the ones they're not good at. You know, like a lot of finance offices hardly sell any life and disability anymore, but, and usually it's because they're not even pitching it during the credit applications, right? And so it's just, you know, if someone has, if someone has zero penetration on something, generally it's because they're not even pitching it, right? So it's just making sure that you're reviewing those things, right? So, but, um, you know, to, to, to reiterate with Jeff is there has to be incentivized for the salesman to set it up and, and plant the seeds on those products and, and whatnot. So we, we make sure that, you know, they're part of the process on that as well. Um, Everell, anything you'd kind of like to add to that? Like, how would you like to see this dealership set up that, that F9 process? Um, so, so I go back to what clients are actually looking for. And what I've learned and researched a lot over the last nine years since returning to the, to the retail space is clients are shopping for value in a big way. But what does that, how does that get broken down? Convenience, authenticity, and value. So if I, as a sales rep, I'm able to, for example, I average $2,900 going into the business office in Sorry, going, yeah, going into the business office with products already sold. I sell the ECP coverage because it has maintenance and I sell tint and stone guard because those I think are relatively easy and justifiable. The thing that the clients now condition, become conditioned to is the convenience and the value of the service plan that I've built in because they've now gone to the service department, don't have to get their wallets out too often and they like that. So. When it comes time to setting up the new deal or upgrading them or trade, you know, they, they kind of now expect that. So you've also sold the other ECP the second time and sold the products. And so some salespeople, uh, like John said, will have some go-to products that they're good at selling and justifying. And then maybe if they go into the business office, then there, there can be some other items that are necessary. But I also think it's, it's crucial to have a balance, not to oversell clients things that they may not ever use or need um, because I think you're shooting yourself in the foot short term, whereas I believe it's fundamentally important for long-term profitability to set up the deal right the first time so that when they come back, I don't ask my clients to sell the ECP the second time. As a matter of fact, most of the deals that we do we structure the deal, including the finance items. And I say, this is how I've structured the deal for you. And most clients will not even ask. So, so you're, you kind of have a hybrid between, between kind of what Jeff and Marco and kind of John was talking about, where it's like, you will do some of the sellings of, selling of the product um, dur during the sale. Yeah, and then well. there is a second person, there is a second person touch that will kind of go over some additional uh, additional things. Now, now I, I think what it is for, 
the, the pinpoint or the pain point I see in kind of what we're talking about here, and John, you, you, you said it so elegantly, um, is the transfer of trust. I, I think that's, to me, when I think of kind of that, that F&I and I and that two-person approach, that always seems to be this total breakdown is this transfer of trust. So, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Mark, I'm going to start with you and I'm going to work my way around is kind of, you know, what is a better process or what should that better process look like for this ABC Motors who's trying to increase their profitability, you know, to transfer that trust, you know, from salesperson to F&I manager? So, um, well, I can speak from my experience, but what I personally find comfortable doing is uh, when we're discussing payments with the client, and I know I'm gonna have to give up some, some of the profit margin to keep the deal together, or put the deal together, uh, and if I know that there is money down, so I'll use those as my benefit, as my seeds for the F&I office, I will tell them, listen, I'm going to go and I'm going to try and get you the $1,000 off the vehicle, which is great because you can then put that money towards a warranty and what's not. Or, well, we want to put two or $5,000 down. Everybody knows that anything below $10,000, it's, it's not going to impact the payments a great amount. So if you're, most people will say 2000 or five, on, uh, between two and five. So I tell them, don't put that money down. The interest rates are low. Keep the money in the back pocket, invest it in something that's going to protect the vehicle like a warranty or whatever else that, that I feel like setting up that I know is going to benefit them. And then in terms of transfer of trust, when I, uh, when I introduce them to the uh, finance manager, the line never changes. Like this is my good friend Adam, he helps out all my clients and uh, I've uh, explained to him the products that we discussed at the desk and he's going to go over them in detail with you. So I, I don't give enough information to be able for them to make the decision because I don't want to get into the specific of what the warranty covers, the deductibles, blah, blah, blah. That's his job. Um, but I, in terms of introducing them, that's a key, key point. And you know, this is uh, Adam, he's going to do your paperwork. Like that doesn't work or he's going to do your credit application or you know, it's, I think that two minute drill uh, is important and then that wording on how you introduce the finance manager is, is crucial. I agree. Jeff, for yourself, you know, I think transferring a trust, like I get what you're, what you're saying, man. When, when, I, when I was a salesperson, like I honestly didn't want anybody else talking to my customer. I, I spent so much time building the rapport with this person. I, I knew everything about them and their family and and I just, I just knew that, I, well, I guess what it was for me is I wasn't necessarily confident that someone else could serve this customer better than I could. And I struggled with that, I really did. Uh, so, so I get where you're at, but how, you know, how would you like to see, all right, that transfer of trust you know, work where you felt comfortable that that, cut, that that next person was going to serve your customer in a good way? Yeah, so one thing I guess I probably should clarify in, in what I said previously is I, is I don't necessarily think it works for every dealer. I think in maybe dealerships where it's a smaller dealership like myself and we're not doing um, the, the volume that maybe some dealers are on pure numbers when we have the time to focus on that more, to do more training, and, and to, I think that's where it makes a bit more sense than some. Um, but <clears throat> as far as the transferring, I actually sometimes uh, bring up my uh, business manager in the conversation. You know, about like when we go back there or, you know, like and kind of already kind of introduce what's going to be happening before before it happens. I also oftentimes will when I go back to my business manager before I bring the customers back, I will let I think it's somewhat similar to Mark was saying as I kind of it's from a discount perspective. Uh, I know that I've got 500 extra bucks or a thousand extra dollars that I haven't given off uh, and I can work with my business manager and say, hey, listen, you know, um, this person's gonna be on the fence with their life insurance probably I can tell or wh whatever it may be and listen, why don't you, we can, we can get together and use, you know, you can earn some trust with them by giving them a better discount on something but we're taking that out of, out of the, the, the end that I have because I'm, I'm, I have some good gross you know, left in the vehicle. And then actually what, what I do is I, I, 
I try and make it as lighthearted as possible because I feel like in a lot of people's cases that they get nervous. Like, I'm, where, where am I going now? I'm heading to this back office. Like, and, and the way our dealership's set up, you go around and it's in a back office, right? There's no windows there other than the window out of their office, but it's in that hallway. And so I think for me, it's kind of, I try to lighten the mood and I joke, I joke around and I'm like, yeah, he's going to ask you all the fun questions or, you know what I mean? And, and, and then I also, you know, obviously in a serious way, let them know what's happening. But I think I kind of just joke around and I make a joke. And a lot of times I find out, obviously in my pre-qualifying, um, things that the, the customers like or what they do. And I know my business managers very well. We have two of them. I've, I've been working with them both for eight years. So I know what they're both into. So sometimes I also gear my customer towards which finance manager I think that they're going to get along better with because one's a younger guy. One's an older guy. One likes hunting and fishing. One likes playing darts, whatever it is. And if I know, or sometimes I can also gather, you know, what area of town he lived in. Like, Sault Ste. Marie's not that big. So I knew this guy. I knew that was finance manager grew up on St. Rose Island, which is a half an hour away. And this guy lived right in town on the west. So, like, I'm already always thinking about who my business manager, provided they're both there at that, at that time, uh, who I'm going to bring them to. And, and that also lowers the comfort level because they're right off the bat. And sometimes I actually say this, like, oh, uh, you know, I'm introducing my, my finance manager to the customer and say, you know, here's Steve, Steve, here's Brian, and, and uh, did you know Steve, uh, Steve just bought a Harley? You, you, like, why don't you tell me what yours, you know what I mean? And so before they even start talking about anything, they're already talking about a common ground, and that's my way of trying to bring, that, that, bring trust, that down yeah. a little bit. That's yeah. cool. John, I know you have a lot of staff, so you've seen really good transfers, and you've probably seen some really bad transfers. Um, you know, kind of your thoughts on the transfer of that trust? Well, the, the turnover has to be, you know, really scripted and really done well, right? So, I mean, that's where I think a lot of dealerships may miss it is who's turning them over to the finance office, what is he gonna say, or, or her? Um, and so we make sure, you know, in an ideal world, world the manager's gonna go grab the customer because he's been involved in the process, and he's gonna say, hey, I'm gonna go, you know, come with me, I'm gonna take you in to meet, you know, our business manager, and then he's gonna go in and introduce the customers to the manager and say, hey, listen, this is Mr. and Mrs. Smith. They went ahead and bought a brand new Santa Fe. This is what uh, they've agreed to. So, you know, all the I's and T's are done on that. And then they're going, and then the manager, uh, I'm going to say, hey, listen, this is Everald. Uh, he's our finance manager, he's a business manager. He's been with us seven, eight years. He's going to go ahead and explain, you know, all the protections on both the car and the, and the finance or, and your uh, on your loan uh, and all the <clears throat> all the options that you're entitled to. I'm going to see you guys both in about 10, 15 minutes and uh, before you leave and just make it really friendly and but you know and then just kind of take that ease off a little bit um, but set the stage for what's going to happen right. So I mean when people don't know what to expect they expect the worst so we want to make sure that our managers are taking that customer into the finance office and then doing the proper introduction. And then the other part that is missed is also making sure that both the salesman, the manager, the sales manager and the finance manager have done a proper turnover before they brought in the customer. Because that one's a big one too, where, hey, this is, you know, this getting the information from the salesman and saying, hey, tell us a little bit about this, what happened, you know, how is Everald gonna be able to do with this customer? Any, 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 any buttons that you can help us with here on what we should know about these customers? And, and just making sure that part has happened before the customers are getting turned over would be a big one as well. That's a great point. We, we are not allowed to just bring our customer back to the business office. We go back there and speak to them, um, uh, you know, thoroughly before that customer yeah. comes back. So they're educated in what's happening. That's a great, that's a great you point. You gotta have that, 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 yeah. that time mm. to kind of chat. I think consistency in the process is is 
major when you're trying to develop Outlook. Like whatever the process is going to be, it's never going to be the first version of that process. You may have eight, nine, ten different variations of it to meet to that, that profitability that this dealership is looking for. But documenting that and then consistently executing it so you can measure the effectiveness and then being willing to pivot fast if it's not getting to you. I think that's key. That's great, guys. Everly, anything you'd like to add before we kind of finish off here when it comes to that, that, that yeah. F&I trust? Uh, I, think it, I think it comes a lot down to, building trust comes a lot down to communication. And I think um, um, it, it's great, especially if you have, you deal with multi-time repeat client a bit differently than a new client. But uh, the communication between, even though my business manager is in the very next office to me, I, I, do, I do go in and uh, brief them on the summary of the deal and the expectations um, and what I've covered and what potentially they may be interested in over and above what I've done and to set the stage. And I think setting the stage is um, really critical uh, to avoid any hiccups. And, you know, not good, I must say, in nine years, I've only had one client, one, and it really annoyed the hell out of me, blew up in the business office because communications is important and that transfer is, is key. That's awesome, guys. Hey, I think, uh, I think there's some really solid strategies that we've kind of developed here for for uh, this particular dealership. Uh, look, I know, I know there's a lot of dealerships out there right now that are struggling with this as well. They're, you know, as far as inventory levels go, maybe they were very heavy in trucks, and now they're having to shift and move to another vehicle lineup. You know, I think we've come up with some pretty cool creative marketing strategies of, you know, from an existing customer of how we how we identify both you know, real truck owners versus just convenient truck owners, and what's the messaging that differs from them instead of maybe doing an upgrade, maybe there's a downgrade conversation, and then getting deep into the process of how we kind of increase the profitability. I think you guys knocked it out of the park here. I mean, it comes down to kind of F and I and accessories. You know, especially on the F and I side. You know, if if we're going to successfully transfer that trust that we developed in the sales department over to the F&I department, we have to set that stage. And we gotta document that process and consistently execute that process so we can measure its effectiveness. Guys, thank you so much. These have been some great strategies. Um, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to do this with me today. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you.